Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 21, Redemption Stories, recorded Thursday, June 6th, 2013, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Brent. And Peter has managed to distract us all with cooking comically. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter, I hate you. I hate you so very, very much. And nothing new occurred that day. That's right. <laughs> all right, all right. I hate him in, like, the best way possible, listeners. It's like, I have this thing where people come up to me, oh, Brandon, you really like this Adventure Time thing. And oh, I shouldn't have said Adventure Time because the guy's going to know who he is. I love you, by the way. I just, I just didn't like Adventure Time. It was, it was not good. And a whole bunch of my friends think that they know what I'm going to like, and it's usually not true. Uh, but Peter guessed it, and so it was right. So I have to, again, acknowledge whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Brandon, you're going to like this. because. In all fairness, Brandon, I don't do this to you very often. But once is like the doorway to so many other times. No, I'm pretty sparing with this kind of thing. I I generally don't recommend stuff to people unless I'm very sure they're actually going to like it. I mean, very sure. I don't don't take the Italian grandmother with pasta in the kitchen wall approach (laughs) with this sort of thing. I, I generally, like... I curate my recommendations carefully, so I will not be inundating you with recommendations for all kinds. Plus, you already like half the stuff I would recommend to you anyways. You didn't need me to tell you about Mistborn or Order of the Stick. Actually, I needed you to tell me about Mistborn. Oh, did you? You told me about that from Writer's Guild. Oh, okay. Yeah. You didn't need me to tell you about Order of the Stick, at least. No, I didn't. I love Order of the Stick. I have the Order of the Stick board game. I actually have it right here. I'm so sorry. Next to this. Oh, oh, don't be sorry. It's the most amazing thing ever in the world. That took four hours to learn. Oh, oh, hush. <laughs> oh, hush. Hush. We Here tried to play it's that awesome. game. We had a full eight-hour game night to try and get through it, and we couldn't. Okay, I had similar experiences the first couple times I tried playing it, but the other few times I played it, it's been really, really fun. It's an amazingly fun game. Play it all the way through. Don't I, it. It's. I have a child to raise. I I don't have ten years to play through a game. Oh oh hush! I'm going to oh, miss hush. important moments. No 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 no. You see, you play it with your child. You get her started when she's four, and by the time she's in high school, you'll have finished. Oh good. There we go. Problem solved. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you all. Anyway, order the stick. This is a well-established fact, so it's you know. Fair enough. We should link cooking comically. Order the stick board game is great if you like warm board games. If you don't like warm, fun board games, then I don't like you. But good news, this isn't it. (laughs) I'm staring Uh, at you. Oh, I'm so glad I have my camera off. Anyway, we'll link cooking comically in the show notes, and let's move on. Other great board games, Battlestar Galactica. It's awesome. Are, no, we are not turning this into a Christian board game podcast. Oh. There already is one, and it's really yeah, good. Yeah, that already exists. It's three pastors. It's better than us. Yeah. Go listen to the Dice Steeple. Yes, we'll link that, too. All right. All right. Yeah. All right, one thing I do like are computers that actually record sound. That is exciting. Yes. We've, yeah. We're a little behind, and we apologize. By this time this episode comes out, we will hopefully be back on track but we've uh, we've had some audio issues and computer issues and let's put it to you this way folks 
we briefly, based on the last few times we've tried recording things, considered dropping the whole Christian gamer podcasting thing and just doing a podcast about technical difficulties. Yes. <laughs> because we've certainly been talking about it amongst uh, ourselves enough. Uh, tell me about there it. is nothing worse than the last one. We had a great thing going. It was fun. We had like an hour of great content and gone. It was me. My computer froze, it crashed, and we couldn't bring it back. And so now my computer is up and working. And as Grant said... Hopefully we'll be back on track by the time this is released. And I say, we'll definitely be on track. Because if we're not on track, this isn't going to be released. <laughs> He's laughing evilly. I should be worried, shouldn't yeah. I? Well, no. No, we should move on. No, you see, I have been replaced. I am not Brandon. I am now evil Brandon. Ha ha ha. How do we, how do we tell the difference? Is evil Brandon clean-shaven? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here's the problem. Which alternate universe wears the goatees? I think we're the evil universe. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Scientific fact. All right. I have a full beard, though, instead of a goatee. So do I. Does that change things? You're extra evil? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so does Brandon. None of us have goatees. We all have hmm. Riker beards. I don't know. Well, does anyone have any news for real? One kind of sad piece of news. The game that I was running is kaput. Um, yeah. Lack of motivation and life stuff kind of combined and I still really like the setting. I will probably use it for my fiction writing. Yeah, I like the setting too. It was a lot of fun. This was just not the time to yeah. try and run a game in yeah. it. I honestly I think maybe I it's not the time for me to be trying to GM, so yep. the setting well, was okay. I had some issues. They may come out in future episodes. Nothing against you. You're great. <laughs> it's cool. But you really wanted to play an orc and I just okay. wouldn't let you, I know. About the problems I had Trust me, they'll come out. With what I know we're recording, they're going to come out. Fair enough. The other news is this has opened up our gaming session so that we might actually have a game running. And I have put forward, hopefully as a compromise that I can hopefully get Peter to play into, is a homebrew game that I found online on The Legend of Zelda. So I'm hoping to playtest that system and make some fundamental changes to it because I currently don't think it's all that good and balanced, and so that's what we're going to try to do, is balance the system. Yeah, a little bit of game design practice, not a bad thing. And I've picked up Legend of the Five Rings, my copy of Call of Cthulhu that I had ordered from my friendly local game store has come in, so I'm going to pick that up, and hopefully I'll be able to run a few games as well, so I'm looking forward to that. My Y2112 game that I'm running every other Sunday is going strong also. Uh, last session ended with the people trying to find out where this package was supposed to be delivered. Turns out the package was a bomb, so that's where I ended everything is. Uh, three of the characters uncovered a bomb, standing right in front of them at a highly patrolled building. So, yeah, fun things are going to yeah. ensue. Whoops. You all explode, and that's it for this week. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The end. Bring new characters. <laughs> oh no, the bomb is activated. It did not detonate on them, because that would just be cheap, and I would not do that to my characters. Right, that's what you do first thing next week. That's right. What, you didn't bring new characters? Come on, guys. <laughs> if everything goes bad, hopefully they have the sense to run away, but one of them already has not had the sense to run away. I, I eat the bomb. But I'm, I have a feeling that that guy's going to be okay. Player characters rarely have the sense to run away. Let's be honest about this. It's tragic. Including ones that I play. I'm as guilty as anybody else, but... Yeah, me too. Anyway, anything else? 
No, but we've got a really good banter segment <laughs> in this time. Uh, apparently so. All right. Uh, well, I guess we should get our scripture in. <clears throat> yeah. Um, actually, uh, why don't we tell people what the topic is this week? Why don't we read the scripture and then let them guess? Madness. Um, why don't we just tell them the topic and then get the scripture and it'll make more <laughs> sense that way. Yeah, it probably will. We're doing redemption stories this week, folks. To that end, we have our customary, in this case, three Bible verses. The first one is Psalm 111.9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And the second one is from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And I have Romans 3 verses 22 through 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, as you might guess, this is a very, very small selection of verses relevant to redemption stories. So Yeah, Christianity is pretty much all about redemption. Pretty much. If we missed your favorite one, we'd love to hear what it is, but we had to pick only a few. I think we can all agree that redemption stories are a good type of story to tell, and I think especially for Christians, an important type of story to tell. Yeah, they're a fun literary device. There's a lot of potential there. I mean, the most interesting characters are the ones that grow and change, right? Right. Well, if a character grows and changes for the better, that is, at least on some level, a redemption story. So... Yeah. You know, redemption stories are not the only type of story worth telling, but I think, like we said, they're important, especially for Christians. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about why they're important, because in a sense, that's sort of what we've talked about through the whole podcast. So what I did want to talk about are ways to make redemption stories interesting and worthwhile in your game, and how to tell them effectively in a collaborative storytelling environment. And the first point I want to make about this is you have to make sure that the players, or at least one player, is on board with this redemption story, especially if it's for their character, because if I don't like Rothgar, your barbarian, who kills all the innocents in this chaotic evil, so I'm going to force you to be redeemed, it's not going to be a fun time. No, that's railroading, and it's not interesting. Well, let's, let's get into a little more detail on this, then. One of the things that I think can be a little bit of a pitfall for people, especially if you haven't done a lot of these, is there's a temptation to make a character that's going to be redeemed horribly, hideously evil at the beginning, and utterly saintly and without moral failing at the end. And that's not a very human story. That's very cartoony, feels forced and fake, I think, if it's done that way a lot of the time. I mean, you don't need to start out with a Torak the cannibal demon worshiper and wind up as Tyrak the saintly <laughs> paladin of light in order to have well, a redemption no, you, story. You don't, but then again, yeah. there is the thing about redemption stories, is it does play to a trope that the hero who is the most purest evil and the hero who is the most purest good are a lot closer than they think. 
the person who falls most often is the person who has no limits. And that is one of the tropes of having no limits classically is that it's incredibly sit for your values to flip-flop. So that's the reason why that happens is yeah. the person who goes so wholeheartedly towards the demon-worshipping, baby-eating, stuff like that, once he finally learns his lesson and turns around, he's going to have that same intensity and that same lack of limits, and that's going to drive him to being a good person. And also, he probably is going to have to make up for all of the bad things he's done. Yeah, I can I can see some of that, but most people aren't that intense. True, you're right. Yeah, it may depend on the game you're playing as much as anything else. If you're playing a rather cartoony, over-the-top fantasy game that has people who are just this starkly evil, and then some people who are that starkly good, you know, maybe that's acceptable. If you're playing something closer to the real world, where there's a lot of shades of gray, <laughs> you may... No, Brandon, bad. More or less than, but not equal to, 50. Um, uh, I despise you both. Anyway. You're welcome. I got Peter doing it. Yep. Uh, I'm going to see if I can go through this episode without hating you guys. Um, My bookseller rage has been kindled. Wait, no, I work for Barnes & Noble. Uh, Oh, that's right. You've Uh, actually had to touch that book, haven't you? Many, many times. Uh, All of them uh, under duress. uh, Yeah. Anyway, uh, in a world where it isn't a stark black and white, I'm thinking, for example, of like The Legend of the Five Rings, there are a lot of creatures of evil who are really starkly evil, but most of the interesting conflict comes from people who are just dishonorable or underhanded. They're villains, but they're not wholly evil. They're just opposed to you, or their heart's not in the right place, and they're kind of bad people, but they're not wretched. Or they might be good people, and they're just pointed in a different direction than you are. Yeah, that too, but we're not really talking about that piece of storytelling there. Sure. That's definitely there too, and that's another really interesting story. You know, it's, okay, I like this guy, you know, if we if our goals were not opposed, I think I could get along with him, we could be friends, but... Unfortunately, he's on the other side. Yeoman. My lord's ordering me to do this, his lord's ordering him to oppose me, what do I do? Yeoman, in The Hero of Ages, is exactly that. He's this character who, by all means, they even mentioned, seems like he would have gotten along with the main hero, who was sort of facing him, but if not, he had a completely different total belief structure. Yeah. Yeah, Yeoman's not a bad guy. He's kind of an interesting example of that. You know, getting back to, again, the redemption stories thing. A lot of redemption, especially in personal lives, it takes time and it's small improvements over time in a lot of different areas. And that's really how we do it, especially as Christians. When we pray for forgiveness and, you know, pray for help overcoming sin, it's praying for these specific things that we're doing or these bad habits we have, and we're making incremental progress against them. This is pretty much the whole central idea of progressive sanctification, is mm-hmm. as you grow in your faith, you get better over time. And right, which is a Methodist concept, I believe. Yes, it is. See, the thing is, what you guys are talking about is only one type of redemption, because there are at least two types of redemption stories that I can think of right now. The first one is, or it's the premise of the story, where the character starts out trying to redeem himself for past action. Second is the redemption of someone who is evil, goes through the story being evil, and then at the climax, or somewhere at the middle or near the end of the story, realizes that they have to become better. 
classical example I can think of is Star Wars, the redemption of Darth Vader. He was evil throughout that whole entire thing, and you had someone who was out there who was trying to make him good. If the redemption is either the climax of the story or the premise of the story is sort of the main point here. I think that those are things that we both should discuss well, here. Well, I'll actually throw out a third. A character who is, if not actively evil, not redeemed. He's got a dark side, he's got a particular failing, and he's using a very dark methodology to try and achieve a goal. And only by being redeemed can he accomplish that goal. Redemption is not the end of the story, it's what allows him to reach that climactic moment. I'm thinking, for example, of Final Fantasy IV. You have a dark paladin who is put on track to defend the world, and he can only defend the world by redeeming himself and taking on those powers instead. But I think you're right. You have the redemption as the premise of a story and the redemption of the climax of the story. And again, I'm saying it, it can be an intermediate part, but it's certainly a less common story. I would call that the climax of the story also, if it happens somewhere along the line. Usually I'd say it's a climax. It's not the ultimate climax of a story, but it's a peak. That's what I meant by climax. It doesn't have to be the main big huge point in the story, but it happens somewhere along the line. Yeah, and like a five-act thing, this would be act three. I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, so, and handling those are going to require two different things in-game, depending on whether or not the person needs it or wants it or mm-hmm. other stuff like that. With the whole it being the premise of the story, well then, that's great because you're coming in with both characters and hopefully the game master knowing that this is what we want to do. We are trying to go out there to make this person a good person. My character has fallen, and he made a whole lot of mistakes, and he's going out there to redeem himself. Right. And so everyone starts on the same page. Everyone knows what they're going to get out of the story. This guy's going to go through trial. Hopefully he's going to work off some of being a jerk in the past. So what we've really been talking about here are redemption stories for the protagonists of our story, which in most RPGs is going to be the player characters. I'll get to the one exception on that in a little bit, but usually that's going to be the player characters. Oh, you mean the redemption? Because I thought that you were talking about protagonists in the story of being the player characters, because I'm like, well, if you don't have player characters as protagonists, then you have DMPCs, which are horrible and everyone hates. So. That's true, Peter. Um, <laughs> my DMPC did nothing! He said two words throughout the whole time the game ran. I still hated him. Yeah, I know. We're just picking on you. <sighs> um, so, protagonists, they may not necessarily be a person who has a long history of terrible deeds. It can be, in some ways, more complex than that. It may be, here's one person who is seeking to atone for one single terrible act in their backstory or something that they've done during play that they are trying to, you know, that they need to be redeemed for. Not a lifetime of bad behavior, but one horrible moment of failure, or one very bad habit or failing that repeats through their lifetime and they're trying to break out of. Something that always hurts them, you know, in the long run. This is the character who's otherwise a good person but has a drinking problem, for instance. Yeah. Or the guy who otherwise is a good person, but he accidentally opened up Pandora's box. Or or even just hurt somebody. Yeah, a moment of weakness, jealous rage, something like that, and committed some terrible crime. Something along those lines. For example... Jean Valjean. Well, yeah, or King David ordering Salome's husband to the front lines in battle. 
things like that. David is paragon of virtue throughout most of his story, but he's got this one moment of weakness. Uh, Bathsheba, you yeah, mean? Bathsheba. Yeah, Bathsheba. Excuse me. It's been a while since I've read that. I'm kind of going off memory. And her husband was Uriel. Uriel, yes. Uh, Uriah, actually. Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Yeah. A very good, honorable soldier in David's own army, actually. Exactly. And David sends him off to battle with orders that he be placed in the front rank so that he dies and he can claim Bathsheba for himself. Not only in the front rank, but he orders the other people to pull away from him. Yeah. yeah. David does not have a lifetime of terrible misdeeds that he's trying to atone for. He's got this one crime that he's trying to atone for. Well, he's got this chain of linked terrible deeds. Well, yeah, but I'm simplifying a little bit just to make an example of him here. He's had this fall, and he's trying to redeem himself from that. And that's a good example of a kind of character that you can have, somebody who's made one terrible life-altering decision in a moment of weakness, and they're now trying to set things right and get back in God's good graces or society's good graces, something like that. And like I was bringing up with Jean Valjean, it doesn't even have to be that horrible thing. The dude stole the crust of bread. That was one mistake that drove his life completely off track. And when he got out of prison, he still stole again because he didn't have anything better to do when it took the action of the bishop yeah the bishop to save his life and put him on a very very huge redemption story there where he's yeah he's running from the lost but he's doing good things while in hiding yeah and there's a certain tragedy in somebody's terrible moment of weakness you turn and it's like well it's not that big a deal but it started them down this path that they now need to be redeemed from there's a lot of variations on that theme, obviously. Yeah, Jean Valjean is actually a really interesting example because he started out with a really petty crime. He turned into a hardened criminal in prison because that's what he needed to do to survive. He comes out of prison as a hardened criminal. He does one, like, hardened criminal act. The person he does it to forgives him, makes a point of it, tells him that he's buying his soul back and giving him back to God, and from that point he's a paragon of virtue. Exactly. For the most part, what we've been talking about is stories for player characters. That's a really fun story to tell. I've seen it told very well, and it really works. But there is the possibility, and this is separate from the redemption of a villain that we're going to get to in a second, but I have also seen very good stories come out of an RPG where kind of a subplot in the story is the redemption of a character like this, who's not completely horribly evil, but who has some severe failings, and it's a character that the other player characters and the players care about, and so they work to redeem him and bring him back. And there's real satisfaction in, essentially, healing a friend and bringing them back into the light. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the best A plot of a story, but it makes a really nice secondary plot for a game, especially when you have a lot of time to really get to know this character and understand them. And if it's a a really sympathetic NPC, there's a lot of value in that sort of story. So I I don't want to just only limit redemption stories to player characters, because I've seen this play out really well, and it's it's really powerful when it really works. This is kind of what I'm sort of getting in the Lantris story that you guys both said was great. Actually, I gotta credit Grant alone with this one. I haven't read Elantris yet. I picked up Elantris admittedly on my own because of what Peter said about Brandon Sanderson. Mistborn, and this is another of his Cosmer of the Mistborn thing, and I want to hear what's going on on this one. Right. So I picked it up, I started reading it, 
and if there's sort of a pseudo-redemption story, I feel like it could happen, I don't know if it will, with the king of the land. He starts out kind of being a, a little bit of a jerk, and I don't have a spoiler here, but there there's a point where this girl yells at him, and like, basically completely tears him down, and tells him how horrible of a job he's doing, and the king sort of breaks down. And I don't know if he's going to pull out and come to be better, or or sink and be worse after this, or something else entirely, but mm. that's that's sort of how I see this whole NPC thing. It, it doesn't have to be an NPC, it could be just a fellow PC. Like It could, it could be, but I, I want to emphasize that it doesn't have to be a PC. That's really what I'm driving at here. I, I don't think that's the best example of redemption story in uh, something that I've read from Sanderson, but to give you the best example, I would have to spoil the end of the third book of the Mistborn trilogy. And we're not doing no. that, so no. All right. I'm gonna, I'm, wait, wait, wait. I'm going I'm to cut it out. I'll, I'll cut it out. Who is it? <gasps> uh, not really redemption. Oh, yeah. you don't think so? No. I still think that was a redemption. I think it was more overcoming. Yeah. So that's one kind of redemption story that involves an NPC. The other one is redeeming a villain in your story. And this requires a lot of work, both from the GM and from the players and the player characters, but really the players. Except for when it doesn't. You guys actually achieved this in the space of one session before my game fell apart. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Okay. Well, not yet. Because you're right that it can be sort of an impromptu thing, but there has to be buy-in on the concept that villains can be redeemed and not there just to be defeated. Because otherwise you get a He-Man villain who says, Oh, I've seen the error of my ways and I'll be good forever after being hit in the face yeah. a lot. Which is which is literally what we had. <laughs> it kind of was. I mean, we put some work into it afterward, but eh, I don't yeah, know. Like you were saying, is this takes work on both the side of the GM and the PCs. We had that work in there. You just didn't see it, Peter, because... I came to you and I said, I want to play a Redeemer Paladin. Right. So, you knew what I was going to do. So you well, were prepared... We were trying to do a Christian-themed game, so redemption themes are an important part of that. So they that are. was built in. Yeah, there was a lot of player buy-in on the idea that we were not going to just punch evil in the face until it died, or punch it until it said, right, I'm cured of evil. You know, there was going to be work involved, and there was a lot of buy-in on that idea up front. That all happened kind of in the planning stages of the game. It didn't have to happen in that session, because it had kind of already happened. We had characters for whom that was the default way to deal with something that tends to be evil. Yeah, you're right. I'll give you that. And it was in there because it was literally laid out in the rules, you have to play something like this. Yeah, that was your template for our characters, your template for the setting, and it's the kind of game we wanted to play, because I didn't want to play somebody... Okay, it's the kind of character I wanted to play, and same here, because I was tired of the wizard that controls everything and wins every fight, and then says, right, toodaloo, I'm off, y'all stab each other or whatever. I didn't necessarily want to play the most evil character in the world, but I am fine with playing characters who are somewhat morally great. But we had the mandate, yeah. you have to be part of this order, blah, 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 and so I had to play my template that fits in that order. Yeah, and I liked your character, Brennan, but it's the kind of character for whom 
this idea of villains are there to be redeemed and fixed, not just killed to be rid of them, is innate. Well, it's in his name, following the trope, right there on the tin. Redeemer Paladin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had a smite that let me do non-lethal damage at will. And boy, was that ever effective the time you used it. Yeah, we hit very hard. It was fun. But this is not the sort of thing that you can do single-handedly. Yeah. I think at least one player. Maybe more are required and the game master. Maybe not ahead of time, but in the moment. You have to agree, okay, this NPC can be redeemed and this PC can work on it and that's there's a chance that it will work. Not only can this NPC be redeemed, this NPC can be redeemed right now. Because it could be a Vader where, yes, in the end... He can be redeemed, but not in the scene. He is not going to turn in the scene. You can you can work on it, and you can put some successes towards it, but you're not going to like flip him around in the scene. Right, and I think it's okay to do it both ways. Maybe sometimes there is the guy who isn't like wholly evil, and you say, "Look, do you realize what you're doing?" I still seem some good in you, father. Basically, well, no, I'm thinking more your misguided villain who thinks he's doing well, and you say, no, 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 look, you've made a terrible mistake, this is how to set it right, kind of thing. Vader is actually what you're talking about, where it takes time and effort to turn someone away. It may be several encounters with the villain, or it may be capture them, and you talk to them for a while, and you show them over and over, and you work on them without them out there doing villainous things. Maybe it's a project of yours, or it's something where they're out there and you Every time you meet them and talk with them and fight them, you make a little more progress, and they get a little less sure. In truth, that that was something that I wanted to do for Garrus, is I wanted him to have some kind of creature that he had, like, almost bound in the back of the wagon, teaching him and molding him, and I kind of wanted it to be a troll, because... I wanted to play a troll <laughs> and have a troll follower. You wanted to back up character tied up in the back of the wagon, ready to deploy at any moment. Well, after I'd put in the work and redeemed him and earned my name and gained seventh level and gotten my follower. Fair enough. Okay. But yeah, um, going back to the one thing you said about there needs to be at least one PC and the DM involved, and you mentioned the whole group involved. To a sense, you're right. Because the whole group needs to agree not to just kill everything. Because... If everyone's going around going, oh, I stuck my sword into the goblin, I killed the goblin, I killed... What? I'm trying to tell these goblins that you can lead a better life. <laughs> yeah, the other players need to at least not actively interfere in the process, you're right. I could see maybe a story where this is the, the standard procedure is, you know, you go around and you make sure everything's dead before you move on. And then one character decides, instead of killing one of these guys, let me tie him up, throw him in the back of the wagon, and then talk to him secretly. It's dependent on the other players not going, uh, I find him and kill him. Or even just, I find him and let him go. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's let him have his secret project, and then he can come forward and, okay, guys, so I got a secret for you. Here you go. At a certain point, like, it's hard not to notice, but, like, how do you hide the orc-sized lump? Well, I'm thinking, like, Transformers, the second movie? I don't know. I'd say it's the dumb one, but really. Um. <laughs> Send all your hate mail to grant at savingthegamepodcast.com. Send it. I love it. I love it. The what's-her-name? The girl captures that one small, annoying Decepticon in, like, a box and carries it around with her. And she spent time training it. You see it get put in the box and then 
three quarters of the way through the movie, she pulls it out saying, yo, no, I've, I've got this pet Decepticon I've been working on training and becoming friends with, and it reveals information that they need. It's exactly that sort of moment where the audience knows this thing has been put in a box, and you see the box get dragged around, but the other characters have no idea it's in there. And then all of a sudden it's, wait, you've got one of our enemies. Oh, but you've, you've done work on it. Good job. Now, the one thing that this does, and I could kind of see this as a trick on the GM's part, where you take a villain who seems really flat and static, a very two-dimensional sort of character, and suddenly, by putting them on a path towards redemption, either perhaps through the player's actions, but maybe on his own initiative, suddenly you turn something that the players think is a really simple character into something more interesting, and that can be a pleasant surprise for them later, where it's, wait, he does this? He has this depth? Tell me more about him. He's suddenly an interesting NPC to get involved with. And someone, I think maybe Peter, I'm not sure, had pointed out that you can have villains who self-redeem at some point in the progression of the story, and what do you do with a villain who suddenly... Not a villain anymore. Not a villain anymore, but you're still angry at him, he's still done terrible things... You know, it's the, oh, you know, Lex Luthor's good now kind of problem. Is he really? Can you trust him? He's doing good deeds. He seems to be making an effort at it. But you've got a lot of beef with him still. What do you do? There's a lot of value there, I think. All right. Now, Brandon, I'm going to defer to you here. You understand kind of the elements of a story. Tell me what needs to be in a redemption story to make it successful from a storytelling perspective. Well, see... There is no magic button for redemption story that I can think of right off the top of my head. Right mm-hmm. now. It all depends on what kind of villain you have, how you will have to deal with him. I mean, if you have a flat, static, mustache-twirly villain, there's probably very little that you can do unless he's under the assumption of something else. I would say the first thing that you have to do if you are planning on getting a redemption story in there is determine the motivation. Right, the catalyst that turns them from a villain into somebody headed in the right kind direction. Kind of Paul's Road uh, well, to Damascus yeah. experience. Exactly. Paul's Road to Damascus experience was the power of Christ compels you to not be a jerk. But that's still a catalyst. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> Paul's redemption was all-encompassing, sincere, and lasting. But yeah. it also yeah, used it, the divine power of God. Sure. Which and I think as well, I think as Christians, it did. I mean, it's it's kind of a twofold. Hold on, time out, guys. I think uh, as Christians, we can uh, we can safely argue that without God's power in there someplace, nobody really has a chance of redeeming. Yes, but God does not have D and D stats because if He did, there would be no stopping. I didn't realize that we were only talking about D and D. I was bringing that up because it, He doesn't have stats because. Any stats that he puts in in any kind of game are going to be off the charts because he's he's not balanced for a role playing. Game. Right, he but can, I mean, you can having a, a direct divine intervention like Paul experienced on the road to Damascus is certainly dramatic. It is, but it doesn't mean that his redemption was any less real. I mean, people have dramatic redemptive moments fairly regularly if at least the anecdotal evidence is to be believed. Sometimes they're something like the road to Damascus, where they feel like they had a direct contact with the divine. Sometimes it's another person, but... You know, Peter? Heck, I I had one uh, when I was in 
early high school at a particular prayer service at uh, Montreat, which is the Presbyterian summer camp at Montreat College down in our area. I had a moment like that where it just sort of all of a sudden everything just sort of hit me at once, and it's okay. I need to change. You know, Peter, you are right because you've got me to think about things, and I was coming at it from a more player and work on it perspective, but as a game master, I myself had sort of redeemed players by the divine intervention, and I, I did it nearly twice in the same game, because the premise of the game was that a certain goddess had taken a specific note in these people, and so they were being watched by the gods, and one of them was a cleric who had a couple very direct interactions with divine beings for various reasons, and started out, like most of my other characters, a complete screw-up, and the god said, you know, instead of casting you out, I'm going to make you my greatest hero, so that everyone's going to know my might. But it could be very, very cheesy if you go back to Throdak, the chaotic evil barbarian, is walking down the road, and then you as the DM go, boom, the holy light of Palor shines upon you. Yeah, but here's the thing. Paul was, er, well, Saul of Tarsus uh, at the time, was a bad person who thought he was a good person doing good things and was shown the error of his ways. True. He was not a bad person who knew he was a bad person and was reveling in how bad he was, like the chaotic evil barbarian probably is. Peter, but what I'm going to say is I'm trying to talk about how we can use them in an actual game, and why I think this is a great idea for a character in the story, I think that this would have to be done something that's purely a narrative thing that is discussed beforehand, or else it's going to seem incredibly like railroad. Yeah, I won't disagree with you there. Like, God comes down and says, boom, you've been doing the wrong thing, you know, unless this is a plot point where it's like, you guys have been going on along, and this is a reveal of information. Sure. Or something in the character's backstory. That's the other thing I was going to make. It's either something that, if this is a story where the redemption is the premise, Paul has come in and he is now, is a better person. God coming down to him happened to him before, then that is a great starting place. I want to remind you, too, that Saul's redemption had two steps. There's the catalyst moment, that road to Damascus moment where Saul is told, I am Christ, here I am. Why are you persecuting you me? Are per- you know, stop persecuting yeah. me by persecuting my church. I've struck you blind. Go and find this man who's one of my faithful, and he will help you. He will set your eyes right. And so Paul goes there, and the scales fall from his eyes, and he sees. We get two very common metaphors out of this, because they're two critically important moments. There's the start of Paul down that road to redemption, and then Paul finally having that revelatory moment of, this is what I've been missing, this is what's right, what I've been doing is wrong, let me start learning about the right thing and telling people about my story of redemption and the story of redemption that these other Christians are sharing with me. So it's a twofold process. You have the start on the road to Damascus, but it doesn't end there. And I think that's important. You have it where it starts, but also that moment that now he's on his way to being redeemed. But there's a separate moment in most cases where the character now is redeemed and is better for it. Well, this is kind of coming back to one of the things we kind of skipped over. When done correctly and with the right people, redemption is a profound and memorable experience which contains a feeling of renewal that is often palatable. It should have a profound effect 
on a character's outlook on life, because if redemption changes nothing, then it's really not redemption. Right. In addition to any changes that were made to the person's character. And that's kind of what you're talking about, is he was changed, and then him going and seeking this person out were a sort of expression of how he was being changed. I don't know. I've always read that passage differently. I've always read it as Paul being corrected, and Paul then understanding the correction and finishing that road to redemption. Oh, yeah. There when Ananias, I think, uh, takes the scales from his eyes. But it is his first step. It is his first act of faith. He is going there because he is expressing, okay, I'm going to put my faith in this thing that just struck me blind. Because yes, it's his first act of faith. You're right. But he's still not sure of what's going on. And certainly people aren't sure of him. They don't understand that he's been redeemed or is on his way to it. And there's that moment of trust in God that Ananias, again, if I'm getting the name wrong, I I apologize, he has to show when God says, go to Saul and heal his eyes. Put your hands to his eyes and cure this man who has been persecuting me. He has that moment, too. That moment of faith finishes it. I'm not sure that we're actually disagreeing. I think we're just... We may not. We may just be phrasing things differently. Yeah, I don't think you are. Or if you are disagreeing, it's over semantic minutiae. It could be. It could very well be. I'm not trying to say that one or the other things isn't important. They're both important. They're both can be part of redemption, and they're something that you should think about in your redemption story. There is another element to redemption stories that I did want at least to bring up, and that's temptations and obstacles to that redemption. And we don't see it too much in the story of Paul that we've just been talking about, but I think it's pretty common that when somebody's on a longer road to redemption... Particularly one that involves uh, breaking bad habits as opposed to one singular act of evil that they're trying to atone for. Absolutely. There's always a temptation to get back to what the known comfortable sin miserable sort of life you had before yeah that comfortable level of sin you were at what you know instead of this strange but better thing the straight and narrow path and i think it's important for a character who's on that road to redemption give them opportunities to fail and then maybe they'll suffer a setback that happens. Yeah, boy, howdy does it ever. Yeah. Totally not speaking from real-life experience here. Certainly not. <clears throat> no. Yes, I am. Yeah, same here. But there are times when they'll fail, and that's they'll really understand how hard it is, but then there are also times that character will succeed, and they'll overcome that, and that gives them a sense of, you know, my character has changed. They're, they're visible markers of the change that you're talking about, Brandon, where it's, this is no longer the same character. This is not a character who would automatically do that anymore. And, well, this is going back to the whole two types of stories. If we're talking about the whole story of redemption as the premise of the story, then the details of the redemption are purely up to the player and or the GM. Yeah. Uh, Because they're the ones who get to decide how it happened, when it happened, why it happened, and what happened before that. And so there's not really much you can say because you can decide all that and whatever good for you is good for you and good for your game. And there was entirely too many choices for us to be able to really dissect them all and speak about them other than like the few examples we already have said because there's so many more examples. There's an infinite amount of examples out there because redemption is a very classical story. Yeah. The falling and being redeemed have been told since 
time in memorial because it's ingrained. Yes, it, it is the story of humanity and man's relationship with God. But the other story, and this is what I want to talk about, which is why I sort of dismissed originally the whole God comes down in a cloud of light or a ray of light or pops up from the earth if you're talking about God as an earth spirit or, or something like that and, and chastises the player and says, from this moment on, you will be good. That should be saved only for a plot point. Everything's going right and you think you're doing at that, and then all of a sudden, you know, God comes down and goes, what have you been doing ruining these towers? You're you're actually destroying the world, and this person you're working with is evil. And it's a very world-turning-upside-down moment, because anytime you have a very powerful divine deity interacting with players, they should do something really, really huge. Otherwise, have someone else come and do that. Assuming that you can't call in deus ex machina and change people like that and you're a normal person who's working to better someone else there's a couple of different ways you can do it uh, but it's all going to involve interacting with that person on some level yes i agree that every redemption story has to involve interaction with other characters i don't think especially in a collaborative storytelling environment like an rpg it, it can't be completely internal. Oh, if it is completely internal, then you're either monologuing or no one hears it. <laughs> yeah, this is the wrong format for a completely internal sort of redemption story. Yeah, there are plenty of formats that are correct for that. Real-life fiction with omniscient narrator. Role-playing games, not so much. Yeah. Even a third-person limited could do it, or a first-person could, if you are in that perspective of that person's head. Granted, but I think for a really powerful redemption story, or at least a really thorough redemption story, shall I say? Part of that is bringing up the consequences of past actions and dealing with those and trying to set those right in most cases. Maybe not every case, but most cases. And most of the time, that involves making amends with the people you've hurt in the past. And it's not strictly necessary, but it's a very common element of those stories. Everyone who's listening to this episode right now, I'd like to tell you to stop listening right now and go listen to our next two episodes, which hopefully will be morals in stories and evil characters. Because, That's right. you know... Go build that time machine well, and come back when you're done. <laughs> At a certain point, there won't be a time machine. Hopefully these will just be released out there. I'm saying this because I'm holding back on a lot of the stuff that I'm going to have to say in those things, because I know I'm going to hit it hard and full board in those two topics, which I really want to talk about, and I really want to talk about. Okay, 10,000-foot uh, overview, then, of why I'm wrong. You're not wrong. You're right, right? Um, okay. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you just have a lot more to add. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. You're wrong about being wrong, Grant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the 10,000-foot view of why you're wrong. I had to Look, I had to get the wrong in somehow. Come on. The, the thing that I want to say is you have to interact with that person, and you have to talk to them, and you have to explain your viewpoint to them and, and make them sort of understand. But you also have to get down on the level with that person because standing above them a lot of the times is not going to work really well. Or I suppose that there could be a, a certain situation where standing above them and tisking at them and shaking your finger and sticking your nose up 
might work. Sure, it's called parenting. Yeah. There's that, but the most effective way of dealing with that and, again, redeeming people and helping with that is, you're right, coming down on that level. For example, a certain god who became man. Yeah. I'm reminded of a quote from West Wing where a guy falls down a hole. Ah, I love this one. I love this story. Yeah, guy falls down a hole, doctor comes by, he's like, Hey, doctor, could you help me? The doctor writes him a prescription, throws down into the hall. Preacher comes by. He goes, hey, father, can you help me? The father writes him a prayer, throws it down the hall, keeps on walking. A friend comes by. He goes, hey, buddy, can you help me? And the guy jumps down into the hall. And the, the first friend goes, but what are you doing? You know, now we're both down here in the hall. He's like, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Yeah. Huh. That's maybe my favorite little parable out of the West Wing. It was delivered really well, too, just as a, a very si- small tangent. But anyway, like that sort of thing is you have to get down on someone's level if you really want to help them. Yeah, obviously, and like I said, that's part of the purpose, as we understand it, of the Son of Man, God who became man to redeem all of humanity, coming down to our level, as it were. But also making amends and dealing with consequences of past actions that involves, in most cases, really dealing with people you've hurt before and admitting your mistakes, which there's humility involved in that and a selflessness where it's not about you anymore. It's about the people who now need help because of what you've done and trying to set that right. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of most redemption stories. Well, as I said, the reason why someone is doing evil is a very important thing, so you need to understand. Yes, I agree. Because you cannot fight that which you don't really understand, because you won't know how to hit it. Imagine you're fighting a monster that is, to use D&D terms, immune to bludgeoning weapons and all you have are clubs, and you've been hitting it with clubs, and you're like, why isn't this going down? It's because, well, the thing you're using on it is completely Because the rubber monster is immune to your clubs. Yeah. (laughs) You have to understand something in order to be very, very effective in getting it. But, and also, in understanding it, you have to realize that your character might become vulnerable. There's nothing to say that in a redemption story, the villain might pull down the heroes, especially if the villain has a good point as to why he's doing it. Speaking of Elantris, it's revealed in the first book that we're talking about, though, one of the quote-unquote best villains that Grant has ever seen and written about, and it's because he's one of the perspective characters for, like, a third of the book, is you see what he's doing and why he's doing it and what he thinks, and you know what's at stake for him, which is if he doesn't basically force this whole nation to convert, they're going to be wiped out. Yes, spoilers. It's in the first chapter. Spoilers. It's the premise (laughs) of the character. I know, I know. It's the internet. The internet, you know, tends to kind of go, oh my god, spoilers. It's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> I hate the internet. Hey, yes. no picking on the listeners. Come on now. I love the listeners. I hate the internet. I never said the listeners. I love the listeners. I hate the internet. Anyway, so, like I said, imagine that story. The other characters of the story had come to him and been like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, boom, I got this note. And you don't know is that they're going to attack you. It could have happened where they said, oh, well, yeah, we don't want to die. So, so basically... You shouldn't try to have your villain that you want redeemed, or your evil character who you want redeemed, to have a reason why he's doing it. And it doesn't even have to be a good reason. In fact, it's actually probably more fun if it's not the most well-thought-out thing, because a lot of the time this is kind of an emotional experience. So, 
totally rational redemption stories. They happen sometimes, I suppose, if thing that you need to be redeemed from is also extremely self-destructive. But even there, a lot of the time, there's definitely an emotional point to it. I'm actually realized I just finished writing a redemption story right now, the story I sent to both of you earlier. Mm. It starts after this orc character has basically utterly ripped up this doll that belonged to this girl during play because he thought that's how to play. And he has very good reasons as to why he thinks this way. It's because he's an orc. The way they tell stories is they don't tell stories that the human knight wins. The human knight comes and fights a group of orcs. The orcs tell the story that the orcs win. The orcs don't go, and then we were slaughtered and it was great. That's what the humans say because that's the story that makes their troops fight hard. The story that makes the orcs fight harder is we defended our land against these invaders, and we sent them all back. And so it's this guy learning to understand sort of a new perspective on this, because he's a child. I'm not sure that he completely gets the perspective difference, but he understands by the end of it, he did something wrong and needs to atone for it. Okay, yeah. He has a very good point, and it's very true, and it's from his perspective of, well, this is the way I've been. This is why I do this. It makes perfect sense to me. Why are you crying? Right. Okay. Well, on that note, do we have anything else to add yes. to Redemption Stories? Yes, we have a whole bunch of things to add to Redemption Stories. They're going to be covered in the next two episodes. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> do we have anything else for this episode? I think we're tapped like, out at this point. Yeah. Like, I think we started kind of under the gun because there's a whole lot more Redemption Stories than what we've, we've said here. Yeah, we can, I, well, it's something we kind of talk about all the time in some way, so I'm not too worried about missing a lot of little details about this. Like you've said twice now, Brandon, we're going to touch on this in the next few episodes. Yeah, and by virtue of doing a Christian podcast, I think we touch on the elements of redemption stories all the time, so I'm not too worried about that piece of it. I think we've hit the highlights, certainly. I think this is probably a topic that I'm going to want us to come back to at one point and do Redemption Stories Part 2. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Where we give a little more concrete information. So if oh, yeah. if you guys are listening to this, and you're going, ah, oh, they meandered all over the place, I understand. I'm sure when I'm editing it, I'm going to listen back and have so many different things to say, because that's what I do when I edit. Yeah. I sit there and I go, I should have said this! Oh. oh, tell me about it. Yes. I do that when I listen to it, too, so don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> or, but what's worse is, oh, I shouldn't have said that, but, you know. That happens to me, too. Well, as the editor, I just cut out the things I shouldn't have said. Yeah, and I'm the only one of us that doesn't edit, so I never get the chance to remove my stupid stuff from the audio. Have you ever cut anything stupid out from Peter's track? Because I know I have. Yeah, exactly. All of my stupid stuff stays in the final I product. I cut things out from your track, Peter. I make everyone sound good. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's true. You do. There's a lot of stuff that I don't agree with you about, and I think is stupid when you say it, but it's not actually (laughs) stupid stuff. There's things that I can go, man, Peter's stupid for thinking that. But it's about things that I disagree with you. Oh, you you gotta love Brandon. He doesn't lack for subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we we turn this into an editing rant, uh, I'm going to call it. Well, thanks for listening, guys. If there's anything obvious that we missed and you want to contribute, please post about it. Uh, We've got our Twitter account, Facebook page, our Google Plus page and community. The community in particular on Google Plus is real active. Really a great place to discuss these things. So go ahead. You know, if you've got something to say, please chime in. We'd love to get that conversation going. But for now, I think we're going to call this one. So 
from all of us here at Saving the Game. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Yep. If I don't lose all this audio, see you later. And on that note, let's stop that and save this stuff immediately. <laughs> later, folks. Peace out. This has been a production of Saving the Game. Copyright 2013. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.